I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights, and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. I'd like to think that when I reach the end of my life, I'll have very few regrets. I know that I will have one, though, which is that I was not in London on Thursday, May the 4th, 2006, and for the days that followed. For those four days, a huge puppet elephant and an eight-metre-tall girl walked around the city, entrancing and charming the million or so people who came to see them. It was a magical event that moved people deeply and which brought the city together in an amazing way just nine months after the 7-7 bombings. It brought the imagination into the heart of one of Europe's largest cities and is one of the best examples of that that I've been able to find. One of the people central to it happening was Helen Marriage of creative company Artichoke. She very kindly agreed to speak to me, so I started by asking her, for anyone like me who didn't see the Sultan's Elephant, as the project was known, to tell us a bit more about it. Um, The Sultan's Elephant was a production by the French street theatre company Royal Deluxe, who um, had worked across Europe and the rest of the world for... 25 or 30 years and they were proposing an event uh, involving a huge they work with puppets giant marionettes so this was a show involving a huge elephant uh, marionette which was three stories high if you can picture that and a little girl who came out of a space rocket that she'd crash landed she was about uh, 24 feet maybe eight meters high um And the show consisted of them existing in the streets, in this case in London, over a period of about four days. The roads all had to be closed to traffic and they delighted and entertained and moved people in a way that um, art in this country really hadn't happened in that way before. So most artworks take place in dedicated venues inside theatres or galleries or concert halls. Um, and this was really monumental work of supremely high quality taking to the streets and uh, enjoyed an audience of what the BBC described as upwards of a million people. And how did you see it? Um, you said, you said, I can't remember what the word was you used, like it thrilled people. I mean, how, how did you see it? move people what what kind of a journey did it, it it seemed to me i didn't i didn't get to see it in person but i've watched programs about it since you know it seemed like it really touched people in a very profound kind of a way i think it did i think that you have to remember the context so from the point at which i started thinking about doing it it was seven years until we got the permission to closing a world city is a massive deal and um it was seven years before we managed to persuade everybody that this was something that they wanted to sign up to. The public authorities and agencies who control our cities, you know, they think of them as machines for getting people to work on time or whatever they think. They think the most important thing is the traffic. And in this instance, I was trying to persuade them that the most important thing was this communality of spirit, the sense of a shared moment in people's lives, something so unlikely and unusual that people would remember it forever. Um, And that is exactly what happened. But the more pressing thing at the time was that it was nine months only after the 7-7 bombings that took place here in London. So, you know, a number of tube trains and um, stations blown up and number of people dying and it was it's hard to forget it's easy to forget sorry hard to remember that 
people were actually very frightened about being in public space and coming together. And then this amazing thing happened. And it was such an invitation, universal invitation to people to just come and be delighted that um, people sort of forgot their inhibitions and regained that old sort of sparkle in their eyes and in their voices as they all realised that together they could enjoy this amazing uh, artwork. And the people that you worked with, like the police and the traffic planners and, and people like that, how, how was it for them when they actually were able to get out on the street and actually see this thing uh, going past? Well, they weren't only passively watching it going past, they were actively our partners in delivering it. And uh, they were terribly proud. I mean, they say still that it's the best thing they've ever done. And these are people who, you know, they close the roads habitually for things, you know, the marathon or for the triumphant return of the rugby team or for political events, uh, you know, visit of, of a president or royal events or the marathon or, you know, there's tons of reasons why London will shut its roads. Uh, but they're all considered to be events of national significance. And this, when we started the negotiation, was definitely not of national significance, although it turned out to be, which was the point, that we took everybody on a journey that said the arts too have their place in the life of a city and that the city doesn't just have to be about shopping and traffic, that, that it's as important for people collectively to share these moments uh, moments like this as it is for them to share or to experience moments in their own life um, you know when they fall in love or when their baby takes its first step or the moments are what you remember and moments are what artichoke uh, deals in. It seemed to me like one of the key things that it evoked in a lot of people that I spoke to who saw it was was awe you know it was like that th they were completely awestruck by the scale of this thing and the the delightfulness and the kind of charm and the magic of it. What they're really struck by, I think, is the fact that it was real. So in a world in which we live behind our screens, and you and I can be having this conversation, we're not even in the same town, we can see each other, talk to each other, where we can all have amazing experiences and we can click a button and be anywhere in the world and we can have any number of friends, but actually be quite alone. The thing about Royal Deluxe's work, but also all of the projects that Artichoke have done, is that they absolutely have at their centre a live experience. And yeah, it was monumental, and yes, it was astonishing, and yes, it was beautiful, and all of those things. The most important thing about it was that it was real, and you had to be there. And people, although these were giant-sized puppets, you know, manipulated by people that you could see pulling the strings effectively. All that anyone ever said to us was, she's so real about the girl. She so clearly wasn't real. And yet people had wanted to be, they wanted to be transported into a world where this was real. And they couldn't believe what they were seeing. They couldn't believe that London had shut. Couldn't believe that these creatures had come to stay. And it wasn't like watching it on a phone or on a tablet. It was, you stood there and you smelt it. You know, you never smell anything from your phone. You And you touched it and you were touched by the people who you shared that experience with. You mentioned that it took seven years to get to happen and, you know, cost a lot of money to put on. I, I wonder, you know, cause with my hat on of being involved in, in working with communities who were trying to engage people in thinking positively around 
climate change and trying to reimagine the place where they live and trying to tell those stories about what this place could be like if we were able to transform it in the way that it needs to be transformed. Um, what lessons do you think that we can learn and groups who are doing that kind of work can learn from something uh, like the Sultan's Elephant? I think with all of the projects that we ever work on, the quality of the idea is the most important thing. That if you're trying to move people, it has to be better than anything that they've ever imagined. However big or small it is, it doesn't really matter on the scale side of things, but it has to be imaginative, it has to be transforming. So something familiar has to suddenly look not like it normally looks. Otherwise, what you know, what's the point? You can't move people so easily if you... so. We do a lot of um, we do these big light festivals called Lumiere, and one of the things I really refuse to do is put up a screen and then project onto a screen, because that screen could be anywhere. But I would always happily commission an artist to make a projected work for a particular building to sit in the architecture of a particular building, so that you're not masking a building and going, here's a screen, look at this, isn't it pretty? You're saying, let's reimagine this building as something different. And that transformation, transformatory quality is what shifts people, I think. So since so since the Sultans, that you, you mentioned that the people you work with said they've never encountered anything that had that same impact since. Are there things that you've worked on at Artichoke that you feel have uh, have had that same sort of impact? Yeah, I think most of our work, we don't try hard for that, but that seems to be the impact of the stuff that we do, whether that's the collective um, transformation in terms of a big audience being moved by something, or we do quite a lot of um, projects where people are actually involved in the making of them and the transformation of those individuals can be as profound as anything that came out of the elephant. So we did an event for the City Corporation, which was for the great fire of commemoration of the Great Fire of London. And we worked, we did six projects, one of which was working with young people from the impoverished boroughs that surround the city. So Camden, Islington, to Hamlets, Hackney, Newham, Southwark. And we brought young people from those areas who weren't in education and training and we trained them in CNC laser cutting and carpentry, but also getting up in the morning training and get to work on time and working as a team and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, between them and our brilliant carpenters, theatre carpenters and the artist David Best, we built a 120 metre long model of London as it was pre-Great Fire. And then we floated it on barges down the Thames and then to an audience of, I don't know, 50,000 live and 6 million watching online, we burnt it. Um, and for those young people to be at the centre of what was a national commemoration, to be interviewed on the telly, to be witness to the profound respect that people had for the work that they'd done, um, you know, that was as moving to me as the amazing response of the audience to uh, being present at this very unorthodox but extraordinary commemoration of these events. We've seen eight years of increasing cuts to 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 the arts uh, in this country and a devaluing of uh, arts uh, running through the education system. I wonder what's your sense in 2018 of 
where our collective imagination is at, how you would rank its its state of health? I don't really know the answer to that question. I mean, I think that a lot of really creative work is done by, you know, young people in their bedrooms. They're not uh, the kind of work that they're interested in doesn't require them to go to some dedicated arts facility and be be trained in that way they're making music in their bedroom or doing poetry whatever they're interested in so i think there is a healthy creative imagination at work i think that the lack of priority that is put on the creative arts and creative industries is a shameful waste but that doesn't mean i think that stuff doesn't happen i think it just means it's tougher but you know there are amazing artists doing amazing work all over the country um, a question that I've asked everybody that I've spoken to uh, was that if if you had been elected as the Prime Minister in the last election and you would run on a platform of Make Britain Imaginative Again, that you felt that given the big challenges that we have of climate change and so on, that you know we need the collective imagination to be as strong as possible, whether in, a, in school, in university, in public life, in policy making, in work or whatever, I wonder what you might do in your first hundred days in number 10? Well, I think that when you look at the real flowering of the arts in, the, in this country, you look at somebody like Jenny Lee, who was the arts minister way back in the 1960s, and she just managed to persuade her political uh, colleagues to make the arts much more of a priority than they had ever imagined in the past. And I think it would be very easy to do that. I mean, if you think about what, I don't know, what's the health service budget at the moment? £118 billion a year. And the uh, education budget is probably £80 billion a year. And the Arts Council's budget is £400 million a year. So you could double it and double the impact and double the effectiveness without anybody really noticing. So I think the sad thing is when the arts are made to fill the gaps in other departments um failures if you like so you know arts and health arts and education all of those kind of things i think the arts and creative learning has its own special place and shouldn't be used as a sticking plaster for the way in which other services are being diminished because they're unique people these people called artists they can see a future that none of us can see they can their work is all about taking us to somewhere else and reimagining our world and that is where I would concentrate my resources. How can big art projects catalyse new uh, democratic spaces, spaces for for that sort of reimagining of 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 the world and the the and where it goes in the future? I think that all goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, which is that we're all complicit. All of us are complicit in wanting our cities to be machines for shopping and traffic for getting us to work on time. We mind when, you know, there's a block in the road or the bus doesn't work or London Bridge Station is being rebuilt. We mind that we can't, in a predictable way, be certain that uh, the city is going to perform for us. And I think that we at Earthshake, um we think that the city is something more than that, that simple machine in which we're cogs being flung about in whatever direction. So... I think of the city as a fluid space uh, to be occupied by the broadest possible representation of our population, both visitor and resident, and that um, 
arts events of the kind that we make can absolutely act as less a catalyst, more as an invitation to people to reimagine their relationship to the city. And in doing so, I hope they reimagine their relationship to the people that they share it with.